What a tremendous declaration of faith. I'm yours. All right. This morning I invite your attention to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, and we continue in our series that we've entitled Pursuing the King. As we look at Matthew chapter 2 today, we're going to look at a unique tradition of Christmas that we see in the narrative, and yet maybe with some misunderstandings about a certain group of people that are in the story, and perhaps we can clarify some things about this group, and as we do, it will shed new light on God's incredible power, sovereignty, and purpose as we consider in a moment Matthew chapter 2. I didn't mention this earlier, scattered throughout our sanctuary, I've seen a, a whole bunch of purple t-shirts. You may have seen some on the praise team and other places, they say Team Maggie on them. That's my niece who is uh, in the middle of a battle with uh, colon cancer, and uh, yesterday we went and ran a 5K. Now, I've told you often that if you see your pastor running, you need to shoot whatever's coming behind, because something big and bad's coming this way. Well, I, I, I ran yesterday, and God gave me a verse to, to get me out of that activity in the future. Proverbs 28.1 says, the wicked flee or run, and no one is chasing them. And I said, so that's, that, there's biblical proof that I ought not be running anymore. So I'm done with that, but we had a great time. I had, I had two events that were out of character for me. Yesterday was one of them as I was running, and on Thursday, or on Friday, excuse me, no, it's Thursday morning, we had uh, the, the folks from the nursery came to deliver all the poinsettias. And a group of us had been in the back working, and we ha I had on blue jeans and boots, and I had mud from head to toe. We were pulling up fence posts and working. And when they opened the truck, I just walked up. They were already unloading them. And I grabbed two of the big poinsettias and said, I understand this church is giving away poinsettias, and I came to get some. And so I walked off, and the guy did not know what to do. It scared him to death. He said, somebody's stealing poinsettias. Anyway, we got finished, and we loaded them all off, and he was always the whole time watching me with kind of a, a, a slanted eye. And I said, I'll be happy to sign the ticket for those, and you can go on. He said, no, the ladies in the office have to do that. And I said, well, I'll be glad to sign for you and take it to them. They said, no, he said, somebody from the church has to sign for these. And I said, sir, I'm the pastor of this church. And he said, uh-uh. <laughs> I said, no, really, I am. I'm not sure if it was my thieving ways from before that convinced him somehow I was not. And he said, I'd just never seen a pastor that worked before. So uh, <laughs> anyway, it was, it was a fun time. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has born, been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. Gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for this is what has been written by the prophet, and you, Bethlehem, land of Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called the Magi and determined from them the exact time of, 
the, the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, report to me so that I too may come and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way, and the star, which they had seen in the east, went on before them and came and stood over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. After coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their country by another way. May God add blessing and understanding to the reading of his word. I don't know about you, but I love the traditions of Christmas. I love the beautiful Christmas decorations. I, I was so excited to watch it all begin to take shape all around our churches as a, a group of, of workers came and did this. And I want to say publicly to them, thank you. If I tried to list their names, I would miss someone. So I just say thank you for all that you did to, to help set the mood and the tone. I, I love the trees and the bows and the poinsettias. I, I love the music of Christmas. I don't know about you, but just the familiar traditions. I I just simply love and, and there are other traditions associated with Christmas gathering with family exchanging gifts some of those traditions kind of began to, to emerge out of the narrative of the story of Christmas obviously these magi these wise men came and they brought to Jesus gifts and because of the gift of Jesus himself we exchange gifts and we consider the great gift of Christ our Savior but as we think about all these traditions all these familiar scenes and we consider this idea of pursuing the king some of the familiar scenes depicted are depicted by artists and others who make Christmas cards and television commercials and sometimes they are not exactly biblical one commentator said this, many people get their understanding of Christmas from Christmas cards and not from Scripture. Consider this first Christmas, if you will. There's some very familiar things that are there that are, are very accurate in our understanding. There is Joseph and Mary, and there is the baby Jesus. There are shepherds. We know that the texts of Scripture tell us that there were shepherds abiding in the fields, and they're watching over their flocks. And we know that there are angels that appeared, and they begin to sing a, a praise song of glory to God in the highest, and, and excitedly sharing good tidings of great joy that the Messiah had come. And we come to this portion of the narrative in Matthew's telling, and we see a group of people that we don't know much about. It says that there were magi from the east who came to see Jesus. Well, what do we know about these magi? So today, my, my desire in, in, in the, the time that we have together is to ask and answer some questions we'll get to in a moment about who they were. First, I, I want to say this. I want us to look at some traditions for us as a, a church. Our Faith at Home Center, we've established some Advent focus uh, for you, some discipleship focus, some, some readings for you. We've also put together on our website, uh, I want you to jot down this web address. It's just Hardy Street. Uh, or hardysbc.net slash 2017 Advents. 
And I want you to go there. You can download it. We will have a, a full copy of it in print this Wednesday at the business meeting. It'll start there, and you can begin to read that. But if you have access online, get this Advent devotional. Because this idea of pursuing the King, Last week we talked about the promise of the king and we talked about how we saw that God promised to David in this covenant relationship. He wrote for himself a job description. He said, I am going to do this. Out of your line, your lineage, there will be a throne established forever. And Jeremiah uh, backed that up by saying there would be a righteous branch. And we know that Isaiah saw clearly a, a child that would be born and the government would rest upon his shoulders. And as we consider pursuing the king for hundreds of years before this event that we have just read about. And the events of the Magi and the events of the birth of the Christ child. He was a promised king. And generations longed for and looked for and waited with anticipation for the Messiah to come and deliver them. But we come to the story and we see these magi. And what I want us to do today is debunk some of the myths maybe about them. And then I want us to consider who they were. In fact, let's ask these four questions. Basically, who were they? Why were they here? What was the significance of their appearing then? And what is the significance of the magi today. And we're going to let scripture be our guide and we're going to look at a little bit of history together and as we do I hope that this will prompt your pursuit of the king all the more. You see we don't know a lot about them and in fact Matthew's words are very very few. I want to leave these questions up as we consider this. This will really be sort of the outline of our sermon as we walk through to ask and answer who were they and why were they there. Well, Matthew just very simply says, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So as we consider their coming, we, we can infer some things just from the reading of Matthew's narrative. But as we consider who the Magi were and as we go back and, and look at them. Now, they were not kings, so we can dismiss that. In fact, there were not just three of them. So right off the bat, one of our hymns has gone out by the wayside. We three kings of Orient are not. So you see, some have suggested strange things. Some have suggested that they were representatives of, eight, of Noah's son, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But there's no evidence to back that up. Later in church history, they were even assigned names. We have, have come to know these three kings, if you will. But they weren't kings. Magi. We, these wise men, as some translations would say, as Gaspar, uh, Bathazar, and Melchior. But those names were added long years after these events. Why have we settled on three of them? Well, we know that there were three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So naturally, just re we respond to that. And, and church history and the, the, the tradition of the Catholic Church came to the place where they said there were three. And these kings from the east came and they worshiped Jesus and gave gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But I want us to consider a bigger picture. And as we do, I, I have to tell you what I'm asking you to do is take a journey with me sort of into my study. But beyond that, into the world of the Old Testament. And as we look at the Magi, as we consider where they came from and how they developed and who was in their life influencing them, how would they know about this star and about this king 
that had been promised. Well, as we consider these thoughts, we, we don't know exactly how many there were, but I don't think we can, we can settle in on three. In fact, when, when you hear some of the thoughts of history, maybe it'll make more sense. Interesting, one other just historical note, the tradition of the Roman Catholic Church was in the 12th century, they actually found the skulls of these three wise men. It's almost a comical story. It said that their, their heads were fully intact and their eyes were fixed squarely on Bethlehem. I don't know about that. The reality of those being found in the 12th century had little to do with these events that happened in the days of the birth of Jesus. Now, the question that we ask, why were they there, is answered straight from the text. If you look at verses 2, 8, and 11, we see it over and over and over again. These men from the east came and they said, we have come to do what? Help me out. Say it again. We are here for the purpose of worship. In fact, Herod backed it up a little later. Herod backed it up by saying, oh, when you find him, come back and tell me so that I may also go and do what? Worship him. And then in verse 11, when they came into the presence and they found everything as they anticipated, the, the child with his mother, they fell down upon their knees and what did they do? They worshiped. So the why question is very simple. They pursued the king to worship him. They pursued Jesus to ascribe to him glory and honor. Now, you need to put this in perspective. Matthew is writing for you and me. A narrative that proclaims Jesus is king. In fact, if you were to go back with me to chapter 1, I love this. Look at Matthew chapter 1 for just a moment. What does it start with? In the first 17 verses, what do we have listed here? But a genealogy. Names. And we understand, even from last week's message, that God had promised that this Messiah, this king who would establish the throne forever, would stay on and be on uh, the line of David, the throne of David. The Davidic covenant promised that that's where he would come from, from Judah. And we begin to look at the narrative and how it weaves together. We understand that Ruth would marry Boaz, and Boaz was from Bethlehem, and all of a sudden the city of Bethlehem is now introduced into the line of Jesus. And Jesus, as promised king, is shown from Matthew's perspective that he deserves the title king. Interestingly, he, in the first 17 verses, we see that he deserves the title of earthly king. He is a king in the line of David. But flip over with me, if you will, starting in verse 18. Now we see the birth of Jesus came about this way. He was born of a virgin. He was fashioned in the womb of Mary by the Spirit of God. So not only is he a royal king in the line of David, an earthly king, but he is a king born of heaven. And we see this king deserves the title. He deserves the worship. He deserves the praise and the laud and the adoration. I love that. If you begin to read this with fresh eyes, we read through it so, with such familiarity. Sometimes we miss it. And as I read back through Matthew chapter 1, I discovered that Matthew was saying, He is the promised king, and he is the king of heaven. And he deserves all of our praise. And then Matthew gives us chapter 2, and the magi come, and they say, We are here for the purpose of, help me out, worship. Now we see him not just deserving it, but receiving it. He receives the worship that he is due. 
Now let's consider these men, these magi. You see, to understand it clearly, we'll have to go back and do a little bit of history, if you will. And as we consider who they were, the word magi is not a word that can be translated into English because it's actually a title, it's a name. Magi were a priestly line. It describes a tribe of people. And just like you do in other languages, have you ever heard someone pray in another language or speak in another language and you could hear familiar words because they said the name of a city or the name of a person? It's interesting that you can hear that. It just stands out. In the midst of a language you can't understand, all of a sudden they say something that you can. And the word magi simply was the name of this tribe of people. Now, there's a, an Old Testament word that is very, very clearly pointed to the same group of people, magi. In our language, what's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word magi? Magician or magic? And they've become associated with that, perhaps because of their study of astrology and some of the other things that we'll see about their history. But these magi, these wise men, have deep connection to the Old Testament. They appear in the Old Testament book of Daniel numerous times. And I don't want to bore you with a history lesson, but it should intrigue us to see the, the prophecy that comes. They appear in the Babylonian captivity. You see, God's people were deported in various waves. They were taken to Babylon. You know that the kingdom had divided into the north and the south, and the southern kingdom was deported. We know of men like Daniel who were taken away, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were taken away. And these magi, these wise men, if you will, were oftentimes very, very keenly associated with the leader because the kings wanted to have somebody religious on their side. We see that in Judaism. The kings would often go to a prophet and say, tell me what the Lord says. Inquire of the Lord about whether we should go into battle or not. What we should do in this circumstance or that circumstance. And these pagan magi were much the same. They were a religious group. In fact, if we did a historical study and extra biblical uh, sources talk about them a great deal, they had many, many things in common with the Jews. They, they believed in a sacrificial system and they would uh, inquire of the Lord through various things like divining rods, which was not the same as the Jews, but the Jews did use the Uman and Thurman, and they would use that in the breastplate of the high priest, oftentimes to discern the will of God. Now, why am I telling you all of that? Why would these pagans come hundreds and hundreds of miles from the east to this tiny little tucked away place looking for a king? Why would they even know of that? Well, they were astrologers. They studied the stars and the courses of the stars. And they often got mixed in with other religious groups. And they, they studied astrology and other things. And they were eager to learn truth. And Daniel, who has a great gift of interpreting dreams, is taken away. And when he's taken captive, we know by the account of the Word of God that Daniel is given prominence. And he rises to a place in the court of Nebuchadnezzar as the king of, or the, excuse me, the leader of the Magi. He is the chief of the Magi. He is over them. And they are astonished with his ability to interpret dreams. And so they look to Daniel. Now, isn't it just like our God? That he would take the circumstance of the sin and the wickedness of his people that would cause him to bring judgment upon them by exiling them away from their home into captivity. But even through the midst of that, he would show grace because one of his prophets, a man named Daniel, would have spoken 
the truth of the Old Testament. He would have shared with them the promises of the scriptures. He would have shared with them that there is a Messiah coming. There is a promised king that will come. They understood and heard the narrative of the Jewish religion. They understood the scriptures of and the hope that they had placed in a coming king. And so God used that. God used that history. In fact, there are other places that we can begin to knit together. If you've ever studied the story of Balaam and Balak and Balaam's donkey. I know our college students talked about that this past week. That The idea that God would take these prophets in various places and connect the stories in such a way that this promised king who would be born in Bethlehem would be sought out by pagans, would be sought out by others who were longing for truth. It's interesting to me. They traveled over 900 miles. And yet there were many who were in Jerusalem, only a few miles away, who never, ever lifted a finger to move toward that. Could it be that God's own, whom John spoke about in this way, he came to his own and they received him? His own people didn't seek him. His own people didn't look for him. They were indifferent to the coming of the king. And yet these pagans would travel hundreds of miles in search for the truth. They pursued the king. Who was wise? Certainly, we can call the magi wise men. You've heard the statement made over and over again. I borrowed it as the title of my message, Wise Men Still Seek Him. If you today are, are in this place of trying to figure out life, if you are in this place of trying to make sense of your existence, maybe, just maybe, you can go back to the totality of this amazing story and begin to see that God, from the beginning, had planned out that His Messiah, His sent one, this anointed King, would come from heaven. Matthew calls Him the King in the line of David and the King from heaven. And here it comes together, and these men come from the east. It's interesting to me, Daniel stayed after the, the, the deportation. There was a 70-year captivity. And many of the Jews went back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. You know the story. You've read about it in Nehemiah and others. And, and there's this rebuilding process. But Daniel and others stayed, and his influence stayed. And the Magi were still there. You can read over and over again in the Old Testament. You'll see in several places in the book of Daniel mention of the Magi, this priestly tribe with hybrid confused worship who were greatly influenced by Daniel and by the word of God but Daniel stayed now they stayed in power in fact they became kingmakers John MacArthur called them just that, king makers. They were not kings themselves, but you did not rule in the area. They were sort of a check and balance. They became a political power, not just a religious power. And so you would not ascend in a monarchy without the, the stamp, the approval, the appointment of the magi, the kingmakers of the east kind of interesting to think about. Now Babylon begins to fade and the Medo-Persian Empire rises up and the Roman Empire rises up and you have Rome to the west and you have the Persians to the east, the Middle East that we know of today. That's exactly where they were taken and they would have been from. That's where God's people had been taken in Babylon. And, and war had happened. Everybody stay with me for just a moment. War had happened on three separate occasions B.C. 
Just in, in a couple of decades before, in the 50s, in the 40s B.C., that war had been waged from the east and the west, the Persians and the Romans. And guess where they would do a lot of their fighting? Right in the middle toward Israel. There's still fighting going on there today, is there not? And we see this battle going on. And Rome set up governors, if you will, for consulars that would be in various places that would oversee. And Herod was one of those people. And Herod had been set up and given the title by Caesar Augustus himself, you are the king of the Jews. He boldly would hold that title, I am the king of the Jews. This aged emperor is close to death, Augustus Caesar, and because of that, there's no real military force. And so Herod is kind of stuck in the middle with the Persians on one side and with Rome on the other, really in charge. And he has no real power, but he can suppress the Jews if he needs to and riots and rebellions. But all of a the sudden, there is a delegation from the east. This was not without pomp and circumstance. This was not three men. If you could go back to the study with me this week, several commentators and several historians said there could have been upwards of a thousand people. There could have been 500 foot soldiers that came, and they didn't come just riding on camels. They weren't just three with a little bit of, of, of present for, no, uh, for the king. No, these king makers who had a king in the Medo-Persian Empire who had been deposed. So they're looking for a king that's better. And maybe, just maybe, through all the centuries of their study, they went back to what Daniel had told their ancestors and said, there is coming a king whose rule and reign will be forever. And they said, maybe he will overthrow Rome. Maybe he will come into power and we can come and worship him. And so they gathered a delegation, perhaps a thousand people, and they show up in town. Can you imagine? Have you ever been stopped at the airport because Air Force One landed? Or have you ever been stopped because there was a motorcade of someone famous coming through and, and there was no more movement because of the security and the high uh, publicity and the, the high profile of whomever that was that was coming? Can you imagine there in Jerusalem these Persian steeds come marching into town with these wise men, these magi, this priestly line, the kingmakers? And they come into the presence of Herod. Can you imagine? Where is the king of the Jews? I don't know about you, but I get chill bumps thinking about that scene. Can you imagine what would wash over Herod? Well, I'm the, I'm the king of the Jews. This is my territory. Oh, no. We've seen his star. The one who has been long since promised. What is the significance of all of this tied together? You see the significance of these kingmakers from the east are that pagans would come and they would bow down before Jesus and they would worship him. Oh, there's so much we could draw from this. Why were they wise? They were wise to seek Jesus. If you're wise today, you'll seek truth in Jesus Christ. They were wise to worship Jesus. They were wise to come and worship with full hands. Sometimes we come to worship with empty hands. You need to bring all that you are and all that you have to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, here I am. 
You see, this morning, if we are going to consider pursuing the king, there are only two responses. Either you will search out and come to him and fall on your face and worship him as the king of kings, the the sovereign king in the line of David and the sovereign king of heaven. You see, this is all about sovereignty. Make no mistake. And Herod knew that. And when they came to look for a king, glory, he said, it's not me. He knew in his heart. And we know the rest of the story. He would go about trying to eradicate all of those Jewish babies from the time of the star till now. So we know that it says when they arrived at the house, they weren't there at the manger. They weren't there in the early days of his immediate birth. They were there sometime after. They traveled over 900 miles perhaps and got there because they had seen the Shekinah glory of God. Now next week we're going to talk about the star a little bit. And we'll investigate and we'll talk more about it. But I wanted you today to focus on the Magi. It says very simply, Magi from the east came and asked the question, where is he so that we may worship him? That's all Matthew gives us. But a little bit of investigation, a little bit of study, a little consideration in the fact that these Magi had deep interaction with the prophets of God in the early times of the Old Testament, the narrative of God's people in the, the captivity. What a powerful thing. Today, wise men ought still seek him. Here's the final question that we had asked. Are you seeking the Lord Jesus Christ? During this Christmas season, I know that you're running around after many things. That perfect gift. That final ingredient for that recipe. You're searching for sanity. Maybe you'll find it, maybe not. In the midst of the hustle and bustle of this season, are you searching for King Jesus? You see, a pursuit of the King takes you to the place that this is far more than just a a passing story. This is the story of all stories. The God of the universe has left heaven and come to earth so that men, women, boys, and girls can leave earth and go to heaven. That we can be reestablished in right relationship, in righteous relationship, because we have imputed righteousness by faith given to us because of Christ. He who knew no sin became sin, that we who could know no righteousness, there are none, could be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And for you and for me, as we consider these magi, these wise men who would seek him out and all the messianic promises, pretty remarkable. Listen to the commentator. The the words of one commentator. He said, I I think we look at the Magi and we think of them as really benign guys dressed up in women's clothes, riding on camels, as harmless as harmless can be. And yet the reality is that they came from the Middle Eastern Empire, from the historic Babylonian, Medo-Persian, Parthenon, uh, Parthenon Empire, the massive Middle Eastern Empire that eventually became Persia and Iran. And it's broken up into these component parts today. And yet that Middle Eastern Empire was the sworn enemy of Rome. And Rome on the other side, this massive monolithic power in the west. And this empire of the monolithic power of the east come together in this moment. As the kingmakers come to crown the new king. The pagans ran after Jesus. And oftentimes the people sitting in the pews. Yawned with indifference. I confess to you, familiarity really does breed contempt. 
We know the story. You perhaps can quote it. You know it well. In those days, a decree went forth. And we start there with the Christmas story and go into autopilot. But I pray that this Christmas season, this Advent season, together over the coming weeks, we together with fresh eyes would pursue King Jesus with relentless pursuit and not with empty hands. That we would say, Lord, all that I have and all that I am, I present to you in worship. Respond to him today. He is the righteous branch, the forever reigning king, the soon returning king. He is King Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we rejoice today in the incredible picture that gathered there in Bethlehem a delegation of searching hearts, of wise men who sought truth. I pray that our church would be about seeking truth together. And I pray that each individual heart here would be in tune with the fact that they need a Savior and that if they've never trusted you, that today would be the appointed day of homecoming for them, that they would trust you and receive you as Savior and Lord. Oh God, may that be so. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet. We're going to sing together, I Surrender All. As we sing, you let God have His way. Perhaps the need of your life this morning is to unite with this church, to join with us. We would love for you to become a member of our church and to explore all that that means. We have prayer partners here, encouragers here that would love to share with you whatever the decisions you have. Maybe today you need to be saved. You need to trust the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved for all eternity. They can share with you how that can be possible in your life. You let God have his way. You come as we sing.